Good morning. Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Sydney live stream. Looking forward to this conclusion of the book of James today, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we can read of it, read of your will, read of your awesome exploits and the things that you do. Thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, full of mercy, that you are a God who does not change and uh, you have all things in hand. And so we come to you needy, we come to you hungry and thirsty, we desire to walk in your ways and to do your will. And I pray, Lord, for those who suffer, those who are struggling today, that you would uphold them, you would direct their eyes to see you high and lifted up, and that we would all exalt you to your rightful place as our Lord, King, our Savior, who calls us friend. Thank you, Lord, for receiving us by your grace through faith in Jesus, and that we can lead others to you, that we can pray for one another, and one person praying can make a difference. We just thank you for that and pray that you would minister your truth to our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw that there are, it's estimated that there are over 7 billion people on the planet right now, and every soul who trusts in God can make a difference for good. There's so many examples of the Bible. One of the ones I like is Eleazar, one of David's mighty men. It says that after all his fellow Israelites retreated from the Philistines, 2 Samuel 23:10 says, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. Eleazar, he rises up to fight. He grips that sword, and when everyone else fled, he kept fighting, and when he was weary, it says his hand stuck to the sword, and the people came back only to plunder the enemies, and this is such an excellent illustration of how we should cling to the word of God, the sword of the spirit, how when we have opposition, when things are difficult, when it seems other people retreat, uh, or we have reason to retreat, we are to stand strong in faith in Jesus Christ, that it's the word of God and God who sustains us in the midst of enemies. It wasn't due to the valley or Eleazar. It wasn't because of the brand or the quality of his sword. Note, it was the Lord who brought about a great victory that day. And the same is true in our case. It's the Lord who answers prayer. It's the Lord who heals. It's the Lord who restores and revives. The Lord who helps. It's he who... Uh, gives us great victory. It's not by our might or my power, but by his spirit. And as the people returned after that victory to plunder the spoil, may our takeaway be the great triumph that God brings through those who trust him, those who rely on him for help and salvation and victory. And because of the courageous obedience of Jesus going to the cross, we have received eternal life, which is greater spoil than, than gold or silver. So in this conclusion, and there's a lot of uh, passages we'll be looking at as we go through. It's quite meaty, but really good. James identifies two common deficiencies in the lives of believers. These are things that uh, no matter how much we do, we can always do them more. We can do them better, is prayer and praise. We can despair instead of seeking God in prayer. We can be proud when we ought to praise God. And the biggest threat to peace health, rest, 
and contentment of a believer is not found somewhere out there in the world, but when believers walk away from faith in Jesus Christ, when we wander from that place of resting in him, trusting in him, that's where we put ourselves at risk. The risk faced and overcome by the church is the same one today. We are confronted by that. The opportunity to go our own way, to think we know better, to be proud, to be self-righteous rather than trusting in the Lord. People like Job, people who endured suffering with patience, ended up always being blessed by God. He was blessed during the trial and he was blessed after the trial. And the temporal blessings that Job received of children and wealth and goods, those could all be counted, right? It tells us how many camels and how many oxen he had, how many sons and daughters he had. But the riches of God's compassion and mercy shown in his life was beyond reckoning and beyond price. Those things are eternal and cannot be taken away from us. So um, we have cause to rejoice in our Lord today. So praise God for his mercy that it, he, it endures forever. His compassions fail not. Picking up our passage in James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. After using the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and those who endured with patience, James addressed how we ought to speak. We ought to speak the truth. We should say what we mean and do what we say we will do. James warned people who made a distinction between the things that they just said they would do or the things they swore to do. And they had a habit of swearing on something to... so. The more valuable thing or the, the more important thing that they swore upon, that just showed they were more determined to actually do it. And Jesus spoke against that in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Remember when Peter, he identified himself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm really, I'm willing to die for you. And then he was caught, caught out in front of the fire and as a disciple of Jesus, when Jesus had been arrested and uh, Peter denied that he was a follower of Jesus. And then he swore, he gave oaths. I am not, I do not even know this person, he said. And his swearing and his oaths were just lies to cover up the truth. Knowing that our judge stands at the door and he hears everything that we say, it should influence us on what we say and that we follow through with what we say. So the question is, are you a man? Are you a woman of your word? And would other people agree with your assessment? Would they say, yes, his yes means yes, and his no means no. And it goes beyond just the things that we say, but do we do the things that we say? Do we say, no, that's wrong, that's sinful, but we do it. We should be consistent, are consistent with our words and consistent with our lives. James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James doesn't tell the one who suffers to grin and bear it and act like everything's fine when they're really hurting and life is hard. Believers aren't to put up a strong front to appear like everything's great and like that plastic smile. Uh, But those who suffer ought to pray, seek the Lord, come before him who can lift us up. And it says those who are cheerful, those should be offering praise to God to sing songs in gratefulness of his goodness. Those who are sick, they're to ask others, even the elders of the church, to pray for healing. Every member of the body of church, a body of Christ, the church, is responsible to take the initiative here. It's for them to do. Let him pray if you're suffering. Let him sing who is cheerful. Let him call those elders. The reality is we often lack faith in prayer or we put a little faith in the one praying for us or we put a little faith that there's a lot of people praying for us and we think that the Lord's going to hear their prayers um, and if they're all just cobbled together, well, we have a chance of God answering our prayer, which is totally not true because one person praying can make all the difference. God hears everyone who cries out to him and the one who's hurting should cry out to God first. After Aaron made the golden calf and God, it says, was angry with him, very angry and would have destroyed him, Moses prayed for him and he was spared. Miriam, when she was struck with leprosy, Moses prayed for her and she was restored to health and to the community. When people complained and God caused fires to burn throughout the camp in Numbers 11:2, it says the fires were quenched in response to one person's prayer. And it wasn't just Moses that God heard and answered prayer, but we have Abraham, Isaac, David, Jacob, Hannah, Daniel, Ezra, Hezekiah, Balaam, Jonah, countless others who prayed to God and were heard. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 11. Saul had just been struck blind on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared before him. And God spoke to a disciple of Jesus named Ananias in Acts 9, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so he might receive his sight. At first, Ananias, he hesitated to go to Saul because he had heard such a bad report of how he had been persecuting the church, binding Christians and delivering them to prison. But God confirmed Ananias was to go. And uh, look what God says. He says, behold, he is praying. In response to Paul's prayer, Saul, who would be called Paul, who was afflicted with blindness, he cried out to God. He was praying. In response to Saul's prayer, Ananias receives this vision and a directive to go to him. Saul sought the Lord. Acts 9 verse 17. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I ask you, did Ananias pray with Saul or pray for Saul? If he did, it's not mentioned here. I'm sure they prayed together, but that's not what's written. He's addressing Saul directly. He's speaking to him. In our minds, we might imagine that he, you know, did something to him. He put his hands on him. He started praying over him. He just talks to Saul. He says, Jesus met you on the road. He sent me so that you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Right then, the scales fell from his eyes. His sight was restored. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. There was no ritual. Ananias, his spiritual giftings not mentioned. Oh, he's gifted in this or that. It's God who caused his eyes to see. It was all God's doing in response to the prayer of Saul, not Ananias, who needed God, who needed Christ to open his eyes, to save his soul. And we could be thinking, well, who should be praying for me? Well, you, if you're suffering, pray to God. He will hear you. He hears your prayer right now. James says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Now, not all are musically inclined, yet there are psalms in scripture, hymns, songs written that praise and extol our glorious God. God loves a cheerful giver and those who cheerfully give him praise, he rejoices in, he receives that. The last verse of the Psalms, it concludes in Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I believe since everything that has breath can praise the Lord, everyone who can speak can sing. Now, you might say, well, you've never heard me. And maybe I haven't. Uh, but a magpie, a honey eater, does not sound like a crow or kookaburra, but they all sing in the way that God has designed them to. The squawk of a parrot, it may not sound pleasing to your ears. You may not even think it's a song, but God made them to squawk in that way. So lay, lay your pride aside. Sing praises to God. He's the one who's given you a mind to worship. He's given you a mouth to speak, a heart to desire to praise him and to extol his awesomeness. And he rejoices to hear your praise. And prayer isn't just for the elders. It's not just praises it's just for the worship leaders, but it's for you. It's for you to do. Now in James 5.14, there's a great diversity on interpretations and practices there. And I'm just going to hit some big main points on a complex subject. Books have been written about this. And at times it's been marred by controversy. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we shouldn't view this as a required formula to healing. We see many times in scripture, this was not done, yet people were miraculously healed. Um, and there's also people who have been prayed for and anointed with oil who have remained ill. And sometimes people who have remained ill have been brushed aside as not having enough faith to be healed. And others are miraculously healed without any anointing at all. One key to interpreting the passage is what James means by when he says sick. Many assume it only means physical illness or that physical illness is the main issue. But really, um, it means literally to be weak. It's the same word that Paul uses in another place. In Acts 20, verse 35, 
when Paul reminded his hearers how he worked to sustain himself and others, he said, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The same words used in Romans 14.1 to describe one weak in the faith and of a weak conscience in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 11. And so it's clear by the various uses of this particular word that it should not be limited to a physical malady, but extended to a weakness of conscience, a weakness of faith, uh, of a weakness of mind, troubles of a spiritual nature. And so in faith and obedience to God, elders were to be called by the afflicted for prayer. And I also would be remiss if we ignore the common use of oil in that day because it was used almost as a cure-all by that culture. Oil was used, of course, in lamps, food, hygiene. When you offered hospitality to a guest, you would pour oil on their head to refresh them. That's not something we normally do. At least, it's never happened to me when I've gone to someone's house. Uh, Morocco Gold's website says this of the time. In Rome, Olive oil was used for nearly everything in relation to their health. Roman medicine takes heavily from Greek doctors who influenced European medicine for centuries. And Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, writes about over 60 different conditions or ailments that can be treated with olive oil, including skin problems, burns and wounds, ear infections, gynecological problems, healing surgical scars, and much more. Early Middle Eastern civilizations relied on olive oil to cure everything. Some view this as a, um, a directive to be taken literally to apply olive oil um, as in response to that sickness, to pray to God for healing. Others see it as the anointing of oil towards medical treatment with faith in God. I have actually been told by a doctor to use olive oil on uh, dry skin. Luke, Luke 10, 34, Jesus mentions oil for medicinal purposes as it promotes healing of cuts and wounds. In that parable, it says, So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. In Matthew 6, 17 and 18, Jesus talks about when you're fasting, don't appear to be fast, don't look all disheveled, uh, but anoint your head with oil. Take care of your physical appearance so that you look like you do every other day when you're going to work, when you're going to church, uh, for personal hygiene. So before you go out and run to buy a bunch of olive oil, thinking that it's going to solve your problems, uh, the oil itself really shouldn't be getting any credit for what's happening here with the healing. The brand, the fragrance, the volume, the way it's to be put on, that's not addressed here or anywhere else in Scripture. What makes all the difference is plain from the text. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will forgive him. Now notice here, the prayer of faith will save the sick. This word is not heal, it is to save, which is to deliver or protect. So it's the Lord who saves the weary and the sick. He will rouse and raise us up. The mention of forgiveness of sins. It reminds us how physical and spiritual sickness can be a result of sin. Paul revealed sin to be the, the cause of the ills in the church in Corinth because of their abuses of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, 30, 
He wrote, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Many had died because of sin in the body. Job's circumstances, on the other hand, his illness, his friends imagined that it was judgment from God, but quite the contrary. It was because of his righteousness that God allowed Satan to buffet him. And he had those terrible scabs and wounds all over him, those boils, um, That was to prove and demonstrate God's worthiness to be trusted. And Job endured and he was blessed. God's anger was kindled against Job's friends who assumed he was being punished. And Job 42.10 says, and this might surprise you. And the Lord restores Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So it wasn't his friends coming to him, anointing with oil, and him being prayed over. He prayed for them, and he was restored. Isn't that awesome? He was the afflicted one. He prayed for them. One person who prays in faith in God makes all the difference in his life and the life of others because God answers prayer. And I like how Adam Clark sums this up. He writes, St. James desires them to use natural means while looking to God for an especial blessing. And no wise man would direct otherwise. By all means, seek medical treatment, knowing though that God answers the prayer of faith. Personally, I'm convinced it's always God's will to heal. But we must rest in his timing. Even illness and weakness, God can uh, redeem for his good and glory. There's prayer for healing for Christians who remained physically ill and even died. All those prayers were answered in the affirmative when they were raised up to eternal glory. So let's rest. Let's trust in the Lord that he hears our prayers and he will answer those who are afflicted, who trust in him to obey him. James 5 verse 16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Confession is another topic that uh, has seen great variations and practices within the church. It's common in some churches to have open confession where people confess their sins publicly. Others see no need to confess at all. They say, well, I'm confessing to to God. I don't need to tell anyone else what's going on in my life, what I'm struggling with. This word confess, it means literally to say the same thing. Confession is agreement with God to identify our behavior as sin and to admit we are guilty. We're told to confess our sins to God because God alone forgives sins. He's provided atonement for sins. But confession, that also ought to be practiced. As it says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Now, the word here that James uses is trespass, which is side slip, lapse, or deviation. A good general rule to observe based upon Matthew 18 is to set the circle of confession by the circle of offense. If we're guilty of a trespass against someone else, we should go to them alone first and deal with it and be, seek to be reconciled to our brother one-on-one. 
and uh, to confess our specific sins and to pray for one another. And it's important to be specific. It doesn't cost anyone anything to say, uh, I haven't shown enough self-control lately. When the reality was, he should say, I was drunk, I swore at my kids, and I punched a hole in the wall. Right? Two very different things. One, he's really not confessing anything. The other one, he's saying, I have an anger problem, I have a drinking problem, and I am in sin. Such a one ought to first confess his guilt before God, then to the family members who were exposed to that behavior, and then confide in someone else. At times during private confession, it's not necessary to go into intimate detail about the nature of the sin um, if it could be a stumbling block to someone else. Prayer meetings, they can begin to degrade into a gossip session if they involve discussing specific faults of other people who are not present, who did not ask to be prayed for. The one who needs prayer, they are called to pray for themselves. And when we are aware of something, we should pray for them too. Now, there's many verses which provide examples of times where people did confess their trespasses publicly. We read of one in Acts 19, verse 17 through 20. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Those who confessed their sinful deeds, their old life, what they had been doing, right? Those who had practiced magic, they had stopped, but they brought their books they made a public display of this is what I was into, but I'm done with it. And they burned their books. No surprise the word of God grew mightily and pre prevailed when the people personally embraced it by faith and they publicly proclaimed it by a changed life. Through that obedience, they humbly confessed their sin and repented. If you think about it, it may be quite a while since you've actually admitted a fault that you have or a trespass you've made with anyone but God. Dr. Orr, and I've written out this quote from his book in full surrender. He wrote, group confession brings psychological relief, but the motive should not be that. We make confession to obtain prayer to gain spiritual healing. And the Greek word for healing given here is used elsewhere for the healing of the soul as well as a physical sickness. From 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It seems that the forgiveness and cleansing of sins hindering our fellowship with God depend upon our confession of the same. The price of blessing involves the heart searching of the spirit, candid admission of failure, immediate confession to God, and subsequent confession to persons involved." We can feel relieved after we've spilt our guts over a secret that we've been keeping, a sin that we've been hiding and been burdened with. But it's prayer together that brings the healing from God we need on the inside. He's the one who restores us. It's like exposing the boil is only the first brave step. Having willingly placed ourselves under the scalpel of God's word, we can promote our healing by confessing our sin to fellow brethren. And to be praying for one another. In response to chastening, Hebrews 12, 12 and 13 says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet 
so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. There is healing. There is restoration. There is revival for us when we trust God and humble ourselves before him and one another in obedience. And we pray. James concluded, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we're willing to confess our trespasses to one another in faith with intent to pray, we can know that prayer is going to avail much. It's going to accomplish much. There will be great force behind it. And James supplies the prophet Elijah to illustrate his point. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. But he, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah, he was no priest. He was an ordinary guy. He had a pretty uh, rough appearance, right? He, he wore like a leather, I don't even know what it was called, a cloak of some sort, a wrap. And it says he prayed in prayer and God answered him. He fervently prayed. And that literally prayed in prayer is how it is in the Greek. And he prayed and God brought drought and famine because he appeared before King Ahab in Samaria. And he says, there will not be rain or dew in this land until I say so, which is a pretty big statement. Um, and this led to drought for three years. Plus it had not rained. There was no, no uh, dew at all. And at God's direction, that's a key point in 1 Kings 18, Elijah goes before the king. He organizes a competition on Mount Carmel between uh, Baal and God. Whoever answers with fire from heaven and consumes a sacrifice, that is the real God. He's the one that we ought to worship. People are like, oh, this sounds like a good plan. Let's do this. And it was God who answered the prayer of Elijah with fire from heaven. Consuming the sacrifice, consuming the water that had been poured all over it. And then Elijah told Ahab rain was coming. 1 Kings 18, 42, it says, So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and there is no, said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah was a righteous man because he trusted in the Lord. He prayed and he kept praying fervently. He prayed for rain. It did not immediately come. Seven times he sent a servant. Is there anything out there? No, nope, there's nothing. Look out towards the sea. Do you see anything? No. Okay, go again. Check that out. Is, it, is there any, any cloud in the sky? No. Seven times. Now, had a cloud not been visible on the seventh time, I bet you he'd have done it again. Maybe even 70 times. He would have kept sending back his servant, kept praying. Well, God said he's going to send the rain. Is that cloud there yet? And finally, yes, the cloud was there. The size of a man's hand. You know, you hold up your hand. Okay, it's a small thing, but it grew. And God sent the rain. 
That little cloud grew to be a great storm and God strengthened Elijah to outpace the king's chariot on foot despite a head start at a distance estimated to be about 40 Ks away. Now, this shouldn't be extraordinary to us because God just answered with fire from heaven. He's prayed and he sent the rain and he didn't even pray to move swiftly and God empowered him to beat that chariot to Jezreel. God answers the prayer of one person, makes a difference in the world. By the power of God through prayer, the rain fell. The weak was given strength, as it says in Isaiah 40, verse 28. Why don't you turn there? Isaiah 40, starting in verse 28. We become weary, but God does not. The passage says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint. We're called to walk with Jesus, to walk with him. And we can walk without being faint because it's he who strengthens us. Elijah was able to physically run because God empowered him and we can follow Christ. We can continue to obey him and confess our sins and to seek him in prayer and to pray for one another, to praise him because of what he has done for us. And all that he does within us. God had already told Elijah he would send the rain. And thus Elijah prayed in prayer for it. Many who have heard of God's power have not experienced it or realized it. Haven't really known it because of our little praying. And when we pray, we ask amiss, James has said. That we could spend it on ourselves rather than bringing him honor and glory. Since God does not grow weary, since he hears us, the effective prayer of the righteous has great force. God hears prayer. James 5 verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There is hope for the weary, the wandering soul, for their revival and restoration in mind. Here, it's a person among you. Notice, brethren and among you. So the immediate application of the verse is not for the unsaved, but for those who have made a profession of faith in Christ. And those who have known the truth can wander from the truth. There's people who trust Jesus, they walk with Jesus, but they wander from him. They lapse. They walk in the error of their own ways. God's ways are higher than ours. So there remains a potential that we could possibly walk in our own ways rather than his ways. We could just assume that the way that I'm going must be God's way. But God has spoken to us through his spirit. He's given us his word and believers to help us stay on track and to walk with him. And the book of James has so many warnings to keep us from sin and the rewards of obedience for those who obey the Lord. David wrote this in Psalm 19, 12 through 14. Who can understand his errors? 
Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What a suitable prayer for all occasions. On our own, who knows how much we sin or when we err? Where he says, who can understand his errors? How could we possibly know we're in sin until God reveals it to us? Until he shows us our need for repentance and confession and for prayer. God knows every secret things about us, everything. He's able to communicate his truth through his word and fellowship. Now this word in James where it says, someone turns him back. Someone who's erring, someone else helps turn him back to the right path. The word is convert in the King James Version, which means to revert, to turn about, turn again. Really, it's to change. After Peter had professed faith in Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one of God, this knowledge hadn't changed him yet. Remember on that night when Jesus was betrayed, turn there to Luke 22, starting in verse 31. Now, Jesus is about to go to the cross, and the disciples are bickering and arguing about who among them is the greatest, which is very ironic because Jesus was not included in that discussion who is uh, infinitely greater than all others. This is what happened, Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Jesus affirmed Peter had faith in Jesus. But he also knew that his pride and his fear of man would lead to his sinful denial of Jesus when the pressure was on. Peter rightly called Jesus Lord. And Jesus saw his departure from that confession even before Peter lied three times. He said, I don't even know the man with an oath. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And when you have returned to me, when you are converted strengthen your brethren. Peter said, I'm ready to be imprisoned for you, Jesus. I'm willing to go to death for you. When God's desire for Peter was to be converted from being a proud liar to being a humble minister and God's strength and wisdom uh, ministering to the other brothers. His brothers would benefit from Peter learning to die to self and to live for God, to return from his own ways and to start going God's way more than dying for Jesus. He wanted to kind of go out with a blaze of glory, but God wanted that that slow, steady, hot burn of the Holy Spirit living through him, working through his life, strengthening the church and strengthening us by his example. God would use Peter, who is a sinner, to turn other sinners from the error of their ways. And God can use you and me. He can use us to that end, to save souls from death, to cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, 12, it reads, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. We demonstrate God's love and we lead others to Jesus, whether they are a lost soul 
or a wandering servant, if they're a child of God who has turned from their way, God's way, who's going their own way, to turn them back to the Lord, to redirect their gaze onto Jesus again. Matthew Henry wrote this, if we are instrumental in the conversion of any, we are said to convert them, though this be the work of God. And if we can do no more towards the conversion of sinners, yet may we do this, pray for the grace and spirit of God to convert and to change them. Sometimes we put the onus of that on us, that we should be changing people. But no, we need to be changed and we will be changed. One day we're going to see him as he is by his grace. And so when we suffer, we ought to pray rather than just thinking someone should be praying for us. We, when we're rejoicing, we ought to praise God instead of being proud with what we have or what we've accomplished. When we're weak in the faith, when we've wandered from the way, when we are sick, we should pray and request prayer. We ought to confess our sins to God and to one another and pray for one another that we would be healed, that we would be restored and made spiritually whole. To leave these things undone, James says, is to err. And those who heed God's words will cover a multitude of sins. Praise the Lord that he is so patient with us and long-suffering to show us our need to change, our need to pray, our need to praise, and what a blessing it is for all who do so. Let's seek the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your wisdom, that your ways are indeed higher than ours. And and forgive me, Lord, when I have been lax in prayer or lax to confess sin or uh, not praising you as you deserve, being much more preoccupied with problems than praising you for how good you are and all that you've accomplished. Thank you for these examples, Lord, of Elijah who prayed in prayer and you answered that prayer. For Jesus who prayed for Peter and he was converted. He was turned from his own way and he started going your way. And I pray that we would be like him, Lord. We would be like Jesus in praying for others. And we'd be like Peter who changed. Like, like Saul who prayed to the Lord when he was blind and had no promise of, of healing. And yet you healed him. You restored him. And you used him mightily to bring the gospel to those who were lost and dead in sins. And I pray, Lord, we would not live as the lost when we've been found. We would not live as uh, vagabonds when we are your children but we would come alongside one another to encourage and to strengthen and to minister your truth that we would be praying, that we would be praising, confessing our sin, doing what's right in your sight. And Lord, be glorified, we pray. Be lifted up. And thank you again for this opportunity to read your word, to hear your voice, and may we walk in your ways. In